time we're doing a series in the book of John called Superman HD and <clears throat> one of the things that John does through this particular gospel is highlight the fact that Jesus is God but at the same time he makes it quite clear that Jesus is also a man he's fully God fully man he's a hundred percent God is a hundred percent man <clears throat> and Hence our title for the book, um, Jesus is super in a supernatural way beyond even our wildest dreams or imagination, but he's also a man. So he's human, but he's also divine, hence the HD. How many of you have seen <clears throat> a film, talking about Superman, um, although it's got nothing to do with Superman, but you get the connection in a minute. How many of you heard of a film... Actually, let me give you the text first. The text is John 19. We're going to only be looking at a few verses. What time is it? Okay. Only going to be looking at a few verses. So if you turn there with me. And the title for our message is going back to the film that I'd ask you that I asked you if you'd ever seen before, and obviously you don't know because I've not mentioned it, but have any of you seen a film called Unbreakable? Right, well, that's the title for our message, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Anybody know who's in the film? <laughs> all right, if you all turn there, so I don't... Shall I put this back here? If you guys turn to John 19, yeah? Okay, because we're going to jump in in a minute. The film Unbreakable... And, it's, and it's, it's, it stars Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis is this guy in the film who, it's like the guy can't die. And Bruce Willis, there's a, there's a clip in the film where there's a, there's a major train wreck. And everybody gets killed in this train wreck. Um, but Bruce survives. And someone says, um, they're looking at him like bewildered, right? And and Bruce is like, like, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> and the guy's like, is it like, guys, like, I'm looking at you like this for two reasons. He says one, you're the only survivor of this train wreck, and he says two, you didn't break one bone. Not only are you alive, you didn't break one bone. Unbreakable. And then you have Samuel L. Jackson, who is also in the film. I should have done that. Samuel L. Jackson is also in the film. And Samuel L. Jackson, he's like, and he's just got that face in it. He's like, he's like, could there be someone out there that is superhuman, who doesn't get sick, and cannot die like the rest of us? Hey, what a statement. You know what I'm saying? Based on this guy, Bruce Willis, his, his part, right? Is it like, could there be someone out there that is superhuman, doesn't get sick and cannot die like the rest of us? Now, I won't give the film away if you haven't, say, you haven't seen it. But suffice to say, Bruce Willis isn't immortal. <laughs> no matter how many diehard films he stars in, right? Uh, and even The Sixth Sense, he was somebody that was dead that, I don't know, wasn't apparently dead or I don't know. But how many of you know everything that is true about Bruce Willis in the film Unbreakable is definitely true about the Lord Jesus? 
Although looking at the surface meaning of, of our text, it may not seem that way. If you're there, would, would you read with me John 19, verse 31 to 42. It says, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews, also, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came up blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in a place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Shall we pray? Father, the greatest enemy of all humankind is death. Um, death of others and ultimately our own death can leave us, the contemplation of it can leave us devastated. Um, please would you allow your word to bring life even in the darkest of circumstances, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Can I ask you a question? Whether you're familiar with Ecclesia as your church or more particularly if you're not and possibly not even a Christian. Can I ask you, what do you believe? What do you believe? And could I also ask why? What do you believe and why? I'd like to take opportunity to introduce you to something that we believe as Christians and, um, and why we believe it. What we believe and, and why. Now, in our text, this is the calm after the storm. If you remember last week, it's been a horrendous 24 hours, particularly for the Lord Jesus, who is now dead. He, he's been tortured and in a way that is unimaginable and, and, it has been, and it's, it's, it's concluded with his crucifixion 
and he's dead. Death is, uh, is, is our greatest enemy. And I'm sure every single one of us in some way, shape or form, young or old, black or white, rich or poor, male or female, we've all been affected by death. And the death of Jesus, as much as as it was harrowing for everyone who was involved, whether it was his mum, his disciples, even for those that were persecuting him. It's amazing how this same Jesus is going to be able to introduce a life that eclipses any death that either he or we may experience. Now, it's the Feast of Passover. Please look at the first verse of our text with me, verse 31. It says, since it was the day of preparation, that is for the Passover, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day because it's Passover. This is not just a Sabbath, it's a high Sabbath because of the feast and the season. It says, the Jews asked Pilate on that basis that their legs, that is those who were on the cross, right, their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, this has come up a number of times um, in the context of Jesus' crucifixion, which is what we looked at specifically last week, and have been building up for the past four or five weeks, beautifully and wonderfully concluding next week. The Passover, or the preparation for the Passover, has been mentioned six times in the last two chapters. This is because John, the author, is, is trying to drop an important hint. Passover spoke at that time when God's people celebrated an incredible event in their history. 1,300 years prior to the time in our text, right? When Israel had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, eventually, God would rescue his people, delivering them from who? Any ideas? For, sorry? Anybody? Anybody out there? From Pharaoh, right? In Exodus chapter 12. And starting at verse 3, just to bring us up to speed. Exodus 12 verse 3 says, Tell all the congregation, says the Lord of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Drop down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill their lambs, when? At twilight. Bear that in mind. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 goes on to say, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then verse 46, 6 says, with reference to the lamb, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not, what? Break any of its bones. Do you remember John the Baptist pointed at Jesus earlier at the beginning of this book in chapter one, stating that Jesus was who? He was the lamb of God that was pictured here in Exodus chapter 12 and in similar fashion would be slaughtered as we saw last week and the week before not just for the protection of a household but for the whole world this human lamb this sacrifice would be without blemish we just read this this human sacrifice would be without fault. Do you remember we saw Pilate, the Roman procurator, describe Jesus three times as the one with whom he could find no fault. Jesus was blameless. He was spotless. He was faultless. Like the lamb in Exodus 12, he was without blemish. And we saw how Jesus was scourged, then taken to the place of sacrifice as a lamb to, to the slaughter. Incidentally, verse 7 of Exodus 12 says that the blood of the lamb was applied to where? It was applied to the doorposts, right? And doorposts are made of what? Normally speaking, they're made of wood. Um, same material the cross was made from. And if you think about it, it was put on the lintel and on the doorposts. You know what I'm saying? So if you think about the door frame, if you put it on the top and on the sides, remember you're splattering this blood on, you're going to end up with blood on the floor. So you, technically, you've got the sign of a cross at the first Passover. Now this is far from coincidental. And notice that this took place in verse 6 when? At twilight, that is early evening. Right. So no wonder the Jews are in a hurry to get the bodies off the crosses because it's nearly 6 p.m. Right? And 6 p.m. Is, the, is, the, is, is when the next day started according to the Jewish 24-hour system. Right? Remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2? The evening and the morning were the first day. Right? So the evening, the day starts in the evening, not in the morning. So... Saturday, so Friday 6 p.m. is pretty much is the beginning of Saturday for, for the Jews, right? So the Jews come to Pilate and all these three men are still hanging on the cross, right? Or on the crosses. And these men who come to Pilate expect that these men are still alive, right? As, as Pastor E mentioned last week, some criminals took days to die on the cross. And not just because of the pain that it inflicted, because these criminals needed to feel the pain and be tortured, but also it was a deterrent for anyone else. You walk past them and you see them. How many of you know that would be a great encouragement for you, not, for you not to do what they just did? right? If they were guilty, that is. 
And, <clears throat> and the thing is, why did the Jews, who remember when you see that phrase, especially in John, often it refers to the Sanhedrin and those who were antagonistic towards Jesus, why did they feel so compelled to have these men taken down? Right? Well, we know well, it's because of the Sabbath, but what is the big deal? Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21 says, and verse, starting at verse 22, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So one it needed to come down because it is law in Deuteronomy. Plus two, how many of you know, like, Jewish people don't like to handle dead people at the best of times, let alone, you know what I'm saying, during the Passover, which is a high feast, and, and on the Sabbath at that. So they desperately need to get the men off the crosses, but what if they are still alive? That is the men, right? Well, because... Crucified victims normally die of asphyxiation, right? We heard that again last week, which is an inability to breathe. What they would tend to do is they'd stand up in order to get like some air in their lungs, but then obviously they can't stay in that position because their feet are nailed down and they can't hold the body weight, so they'd slump back down again. Hence, they would die of asphyxiation. So how do you stop someone from breathing? And I'm saying, who's on the cross? You break their legs. You'd think that they just kill them. No, they want to further intensify the pain, but at the same time, they, it's deep, isn't it? It's dark. So they would, they would break their legs and they would use this implement that they called, I've been practicing, a crucifix. Help me, all that practice. A crucifragium. And um, it was either made, it was of a club made of wood or some kind of heavy metal, you know what I'm saying, substance. And literally, they would break the legs of the victim. X-rated, right? And this secured a, a, a painless but, but a speedier death, right? Verse 32 of our text says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. So it says the soldiers, plural, right, began, if you like, working from either end, working from the outside in, right? Remember, Jesus having been crucified between two criminals, right? And the reason they break their legs is, is why? It's because they're still alive, you know what I'm saying? Verse 33, but, but, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not what? unbreakable they did not break his legs Jesus was unbreakable and we will see why in a moment verse 34 but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water now at this point I was tempted to impress you with a complete medical diagnosis um, including all the technical terminology and I thought, well, there'd, there'd, there'd be no point. There's probably only one person that could understand it, and that's Sister Anu. I don't know if she's in there. <laughs> Zebedee's wife, because <laughs> she's a doctor. Any more doctors in the house? 
Uh, if you are, then you, you'd get it as well. But um, I'd probably trip over those words like I tripped over the, that other word a minute ago after all that practice as well. But, but to, be, to be helpful and to put it simply, the distinct separation of blood and water um, once the chest cavity was penetrated um, proved that Jesus was dead because I think the serum separates from the red blood, whatever, capillaries or whatever. And, um, but, but fundamentally, it proved that Jesus was dead, like unquestionably, like undeniably, like categorically. And, and that further proven by the verification of these expert, or should I say professional executioners, Right. These soldiers, they knew what they were doing. So, the two criminals, they were still alive. They had their legs broken and they didn't have their sides pierced. Jesus, on the other hand, he was dead, right, when the, ex- when the executioners arrived. His legs weren't broken, but he did have his side pierced. Verse 35. He who saw it, notice, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. My question to you earlier was, what is it that you believe? And why? Well, we're talking about as believers, as Christians, this is what we believe. I suppose we're all believers, right? It just depends on what you believe in. As Christians, I'm talking about what we believe and why. Verse 35, John says, he who, he says, he who saw it, and he's the writer, I saw it and I've borne witness. And he says, his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. John here is giving us much more than, a, than just a description of what happened. He's building a case. Both of these examples, one, that Jesus' legs weren't broken, and two, that his side was pierced, both of these examples, they prove that Jesus was dead. And John does this for two reasons. One, because of the, the backlash from those who were contemporary with John, that is those who were alive with John, they were beginning to challenge what John has just said. And the second reason is because of the backlash that would come later, (laughs) including our lifetime and beyond with reference to those who would like to challenge whether or not this is true or false. Now, how many of you know there are those that do not believe that Jesus lived, let alone that he died. You know what I mean? Um, to not necessarily talk that much about those who don't believe that he lived. I mean, that, that is just, that's the height of ridicul- ridiculosity, rid- ridiculousness. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is a historical character. You know what I'm saying? Goodness me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I'm saying? Two of the largest celebrations that we have on the planet, Christmas and Easter. You're going to turn around and the, the Mandonics? <laughs> Anyway, with reference to, to, to those who didn't believe that Jesus at least died, 
right? They're called docetists. And we've got some modern day ones because um, nothing don't change. There's nothing new under the sun. Like Islam teaches, pretty much teaches this because it's from these docetists at the time of John's writing. It's from these docetists that Muhammad got his understanding of the gospel, the Bible as, 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 as we have it. And these docetists, they denied that Jesus was truly a man. They didn't deny that he existed, but they, did, they denied that he was truly a man. And they said, Jesus only seemed to take on human form. You know what I'm saying? And hence, like Islam pretty much teaches that you know, Jesus never actually died on a cross. And this is where Islam got it from. Because remember, Islam is only 1,400 years old. It, was, it started in 670 AD, which was obviously 600 years after the, roughly after the time that this was written. You see how dangerous false teaching can be. And <clears throat> this, 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 this whole business about Jesus only seemed to have taken on human form, completely contradicted John's first chapter, if you remember, let alone the rest of his whole book. Remember John chapter 1, he said, and the word, speaking of Jesus, and you, you can tell by the text that John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Verse 14 goes on to say, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Became flesh, became human. Do you know what I'm saying? A few years later, we see John again having to reiterate the same thing in his epistle. In 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, he says, Look, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God, they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now he's in the world already. That was then. You know what I'm saying? You've always had an anti-Christian perspective and a multiplicity of them at that. And this is true <clears throat> about Jesus' birth as well as his death. Listen to John's clever use of the same terminology in First John chapter 5, verse 6. He says, this is he, speaking of Jesus, who came by what? Now remember we just talked about him being pierced in the side. This is he who came, but this is not speaking about his, this is speaking about his birth. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but sorry, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now this is a reference to his birth. You know what I'm saying? But at the, at the end, at his death, we're seeing at least an, a reference to it, like. John's trying to say, at least in John 19, Jesus is, he's really a man. And guess what? He really died. See, that's the H in Superman HD, the human part of Jesus. But if that wasn't enough, I mean, that's quite a convincing argument for me. If you're a Christian, you'd be like, yeah, hey, I, 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 I knew that what I believe was true. But hey, you just encouraged my heart, Pastor Rob. All right, watch Here's, there's more. He says, he says, if you like, John is now going to ramp things up another notch for the disbeliever, if you like. Verse 36. He says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Oh, the scripture. What scripture? That not one of his bones will be broken. 
unbreakable. But not only that, verse 37, and again, John says, I've got more for you. Another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. Firstly, Exodus 12, a moment ago, remember we read, it shall be eaten in one house, that is the lamb, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Verse 46, we read a minute ago from Exodus chapter 12. Psalm 34, a messianic um, reference, says, verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. You feel the power of that? This was, this was, this was, Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Numbers chapter 9 verse 11 to 13 says, In the second month on the 14th 14th day, notice, at twilight they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones, according to all the statute for the Passover. They shall keep it. Now this is amazing. You've got to remember that the evening before the Passover Sabbath, when Jesus was crucified, is the very same day that they would, sl- they, they, would, they, they, they would slaughter the lambs. It's the very same day. Listen, Jesus, if you like, is standing before Pilate. He's being tested by Pilate. I find no fault in him. Right? He's doing that at that same moment. You see the priests and the scribes who were there baying for, for the death of Christ... They weren't even doing their job responsibly. Because they should have been at the temple inspecting the lambs and getting ready for the sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? And, and if some of them were, because I suspect maybe some of them were, if they were, they would have been looking at the animals saying, no, this, yeah, this is a good lamb. It ain't got no blemishes. While Pilate's over saying, oh, yeah, this is an amazing, you know what I'm saying, lamb. He's got no blemishes. Is it, is, is it, is it, is it coincidental that these prophecies that reference the Lamb and the Lord Jesus. It's more than coincidence. So with reference to um, the breaking of the bones, that's one thing. But then secondly, um, regarding verse 37, this is a quote from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. It says, And I will put on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on Ooh, when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. Now, Jesus, if you like, we could argue was pierced more than once because he was pierced by the by the the implements of crucifixion, right, in his hands or in his wrists and in his feet. But here's another piercing. But I mean, you can't get away from the fact that the text says he was pierced. And the he is making reference to, but by definition of the one who's speaking, is none other than God. He's a man, but he's super man. He's human, but he's also divine. The evidence stacks up. It's pretty incontrovertible. I'm like, I'm like, wow. You see, you got you got solid ground for what you what you believe in. You got solid ground upon which you stand with reference to your trust in Christ, with regards to who He is and what He did. As a Christian, this is what you believe, 
And here are some good reasons why. If you don't believe this, what is it you believe? And why? A lie, bruv? Couldn't put it better myself. Gangster. John is giving us first-hand historical evidence to believe in Jesus. Verse 35 of our text. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth. That you, It's like you can't convince him otherwise <laughs> that you also may believe. In the film Unbreakable, Samuel L. Jackson, he says, I came across a rather unbelievable possibility. Since then, I've come to believe that possibility. However, unbelievable is now more a probability, not a possibility. Now, if verse 31 to 37, which we just looked at, is what we believe and why, verse 38 to the end will show us how two real people were affected by this very truth. Verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Joseph of Arimathea. Mark tells us, not Marky Fife, but Mark, John Mark, the writer of the gospel, tells us that this, I'm, I'm sure Mark would tell us as well, um, that this man was a member of the Sanhedrin. Matthew tells us that he was very wealthy. And here John refers to him as what? As a disciple. And we see the, healthy, the, the, the helpful parenthesis <laughs> where John says, yo, he's a, he's, he's a disciple, yeah, but he's a, like, he's a secret disciple. <laughs> he's an undercover disciple because he's fearful of the Jews. I mean, it's one thing, an outsider, because remember the Jews already told you, if you try, to, like, you try and back it for this Jesus, you know what I'm saying, then you, you potentially will meet the same fate as him and we're out to kill him. So people are terrified. They wouldn't let them in the temple. You know what I mean? And so, people were, so, so if that's going to happen to someone who's an outsider, how about someone who's a member of the Sanhedrin? Yo, he'd be like, what is it? Who, 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 who is the guy? Who is the Judas that Shakespeare, is it Shakespeare used to write about? Was it Mark Antony? Was he, was he the? Oh, and no one can help me, you know. <laughs> I don't feel bad that I don't know because none of you lot know either. Wow. So, he, he's scared of the Jews, right? And who wouldn't be, seeing how they function, right? Now, with reference to the body, the bodies of the next of kin, the bodies were normally handed over to the next of kin in terms of crucifixion, unless it was for sedition. Do you know what I'm saying? These crimes against the state, they're not giving the body over to you. Like Pastor E said, you will, stand up, you will stay up there on the cross and hang, you know what I'm saying, and the wild animals will have their way with you. Birds will come and pluck out your, your eyeballs and all of them madness. If you've been done for sedition, you know what I'm saying? 
Mary probably thought that there would be no chance of her getting us. Because in my mind, I was like, well, how come like John, John was there, right, where the other disciples had split. He was the only one that's there. That's why I can write first-hand account. And Mary and Jesus, remember Jesus said, John, take care of my mom, please. You know what I'm saying? I, I was like, where's Mary? Where, like, surely they're going to want to take care of the body of Jesus, but they're not there. And, and it's probably because they're like, they're never going to give us the body because of, of what Jesus quote unquote has done. You know what I'm saying? So, hence her not asking, I suspect. But Joseph had clout. Remember, he's a dignitary, right? Of sorts. And he was able to plead for the body of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because it says Pilate gave him permission. He needed that. It just wasn't going to happen, you know what I'm saying, as standard. Otherwise, Jesus would have been left to the vultures. And then probably he would have been thrown, whatever body was left, the carcass would have been thrown into the valley of what they call Hinnom. You know what I'm saying? It was the city dump that was a furnace that constantly burned. That would have been his fate. But petition is granted. And especially as Joseph, you know what I'm saying, seemed to be accompanied by another Jewish political dignitary in verse 39. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, another undercover believer, an undercover lover of Jesus, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Remember him from earlier in chapter 3? Now, this is so encouraging to me because how many of you sometimes feel like you're a rubbish Christian, like you're a whack Christian? You know what I mean? Sometimes we have good days in it, but most of the time I know I have bad days and I'm like, Lord, I'm so, I'm so, I'm such an unfaithful representative. You know what I'm saying? My life is just so rubbish, Lord. I just, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm on my knees like very, very grateful, overwhelmingly grateful for the fact that I'm not saved by my works. Can you say amen? You know what I mean? But I'm saved by his grace because if God was to mark our transgressions, who would stand? And I'm so encouraged by, you know, the parable of the sower, pastor, he made reference to it a few weeks ago, if I remember rightly, or one of, someone who was preaching. And, 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 and one of the things about the parable of the sower is it makes these references to um, false Christians. But then it comes to the last category and you have the tree that actually bears fruit as opposed to the others that don't. But the tree that bears fruit falls into three categories. And it talks about the individual bearing 30, 60, 100 fold. You know what I'm saying? This is like the return on, you know what I'm saying, the investment. Because God's going to... He's gonna, um, he's gonna be looking for an investment in term. He's gonna be looking for a return on his investment when we get home, isn't it? <laughs> and every, no one said amen. Everybody said, "Oh me," <laughs> you know what I mean? Amen, lights, body bokum. Amen, lights. Um, but I'm so encouraged by that because even if I only end up being a threat, like. I'm only got, you only get back 30% on your return, Lord. I, out of the 10 times I should have shared the gospel, I f- seven times I flopped. You know what I'm saying? But there's the three times I, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I tried. May not, have, may not have been very successful, but I tried. You know what I'm saying? And, and those other areas of my life, whether it's 
my children and I may have flopped or failed or my marriage, I may have flopped or I might have failed or my career, you know what I'm saying, I may have flopped or failed or even as a, you know what I'm saying, as someone who serves the Lord at church or, you know what I'm saying, constantly flopping and failing, I'm encouraged by the parable of the soul because even though, you know what I'm saying, you're not like, you're not, you know what I'm saying, always on it, God accepts you, you know what I mean, um, and you can be encouraged by that, I'm encouraged, I draw encouragement from that, otherwise I wouldn't be here, you know what I mean, today, beat down by my own discouragement, and so, <laughs> these guys, they're secret Christians, isn't it? they're not no hundredfold, they're not out there like representing hard, but they are disciples, aren't they? And someone said, those who had openly followed Jesus a little bit earlier, like the disciples' disciples, right? They'd fled. (laughs) And notice, those who had secretly followed Jesus have now come into the open. It's beautiful, isn't it? Let's not judge anyone before the necessary time, amen? Amen. Now, they got a lot of spices here, man. But they got they were right, they're they're balling, isn't it, Nicodemus and Joseph? So they can afford these expensive spices. Seventy five pounds worth that's weight, not money. Weight. <laughs> they never had pounds, shillings and pence back then. Um Myrrh. If you do you remember where myrrh is first mentioned in the gospels? Everybody knows that one, innit? I look at the kids and you guys should be able to tell me that one. Yes, yeah, the wise men brought myrrh when? At the birth of Jesus, and if you like, um, it identified the fact that this child was going to die. Jesus himself said it a few weeks ago. He says, for this reason I've come. You know what I mean? Jesus never shrunk back from the purpose that God had for him, although it was going to lead to his demise. Amazing. Verse 40. So, they, that is Joseph and Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, like mummification, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Verse 42. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, hear it again, Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Although it is commonly asserted that this tomb belonged to Joseph, there's no proof for that in the Gospels. Um, But it could have. I think it's in an extra-biblical set of writings. I forget what it's called. Um, It's actually in there somewhere, you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of leaked over into contemporary Christian thinking. But there's there's no proof for it in the Gospels. But it could have been true otherwise how could joseph take opportunity to use a tomb that wasn't his you know i mean even if at the last minute he bought it because he's balling like that right (laughs) listen to isaiah 53 verses that you're quite familiar with starting at verse 6 through to verse 9 all we like sheep have gone astray how many can say amen to that you know i'm saying but we've been turned back to the bishop of our souls says first peter to first peter says first peter not sure where 
He says, first, I think chapter five. We, he says, we have, we have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that true? You know what I'm saying? That's the fundamental issue. It's not that we sin. Sin is a problem. But the reason we sin is because we turn away. That's, it's, when, it's we turn away and then we end up sinning, isn't it? But the fundamental issue is the fact that we turn away. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord graciously has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. We've seen that over the weeks. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was killed. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Now notice verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. There's two things there from that highlighted section. They made his grave with the wicked. Notice Jesus was hung between two criminals. You'd be like, oh my gosh, look. And I'm saying, you turn, you look at Jesus for the last time and walk away and think, he's a criminal like them. <laughs> if you didn't know better, right? But notice, and with a rich man in his death. How does that work? Well, isn't it too deep, bro? It's too much, man. The evidence is stacked. You know what I'm saying? Joseph of Arimathea. Now, it's, it's, you know what's amazing? Jesus was in complete control when he was alive. But Jesus is still in complete control even though he's dead. Can you see that? How beautiful is our Savior? Incredible. Now with regards to evidence for Jesus and this astonishing chain of events, John is helpfully presenting powerful case for Christ another important point with regards to the fact that the tomb was vacant and empty because these are family tombs and I'm saying um, cut out of the rock where you put all your family when they pass away how many people are in this tomb ain't no one in this tomb and maybe John is just mentioning it because of the next major event that's going to take place and I'm saying in the next three days, at least in terms of the text, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be even more amplified, and I'm saying, when this tomb is examined. Hey, this, look at me trying not to give it away, and everybody knows already what I'm talking about. And when the women come in the next 48 to 72 hours, and I'm saying, unbreakable. Notice the two, the two sections of our text. First of all, Jesus... In terms of his bones, he can't be broken. He's unbreakable. But then the scripture, I mean, the evidence that we just saw stacked up with reference to the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus himself makes reference in another place. He says, you know what? You see the Old Testament? The prophecies that are in there, guess what? They cannot be what? They cannot be broken. Just one little thing could have messed up this whole chain of events, you know. Jesus is not one of them. Unbreakable. And what, what, what sweet me even more as I was thinking about, I was like, wait a minute. In one sense, we're talking about one and the same thing. 
We're talking about Jesus is unbreakable and the scripture is unbreakable. But John chapter 1 verse 1 says Jesus is the scripture. Jesus is the word. <laughs> unbreakable. Remember our question at the beginning? What do you believe and why do you believe it? Is your belief unbreakable? Shall we pray? Invite the band to come join me. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. That you also may believe. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a faith that's unbreakable. It's unshakable. Don't mean it won't be shook. But it can't be damaged. Not by, not by time. Lord, we've come 6,000 years since the, the creation of man from a biblical point of view. And 6,000 years later, from, the, from you began to speak to Adam and Eve in the garden, we have those words contained, preserved for us perfectly in the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. You know, you've helped us to get past the point of, well, you know, you've got this translation, you've got that translation. Thank you, Lord. The original translation was not written in King James or NIV or NASB or amplified it was written in Hebrew and Greek these are just English translations from the original thank you that you preserved your word and it's so beautiful even look 50, 60, 70 years ago Lord Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they pull out the scroll of Isaiah and bam it's the same that we've had for centuries preserved we measure it up we're like oh my gosh the whole book of Isaiah preserved oh and it looks just like the fresh pages that just been printed by Zondervan. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for the preservation of the text. And thank you, thank you for the preservation of the Lord Jesus. Not one of his bones. It was clearly predicted, prophesied hundreds of years beforehand that none of his bones would be broken. And look, complete. not only was he preserved, the truth was preserved. And we still have it today. Thank you. Because, Lord, this gives us solid ground to stand upon with reference to our faith. Lord, it's not just what we believe, Father. Thank you. We know why we believe it. And we praise you for that today. And, Lord, I just really want to pray um, for, for brothers and sisters, Lord, just to be encouraged, Lord, that they may not be all that they know they ought to be. Lord, we are not all that we should be. But thank you. We stand by your grace. Thank you that you said, Paul said to Timothy that he should be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a contradiction it sounds like because we're so weak. But we can be strong not in ourselves but in Christ Jesus. Who even in death was ruling and reigning and organizing and controlling events like spinning planets into the cosmos. Wow. Thank you Lord. Lord, I pray that 
I pray, Lord, for closet Christians, Lord, closet disciples, like undercover, James Bond type. Lord, I pray that you'd help. And Lord, I think we can all be like that. I pray, Lord, that you'd help. Lord, someone said, either discipleship kills the secrecy or secrecy kills the discipleship. Lord, would you help us? In the same way Jesus was willing to hang there naked and despise the shame, Lord, would you help us not to, not to embrace the shame, but we despise it too when we stand up in your name. And Lord, would you, would you, Lord, would you help? Would you challenge, Lord, somebody who might be here today who has come in with a set of beliefs that are completely unfounded? Or maybe they have been founded in some semblance of a fashion, Lord, and, and yet it, it contradicts your truth. Lord, I pray that you'd allow a conversation to develop out of that. And um, Lord, like so many of us, you've been able to wrestle us to the ground. And, um, and it's amazing how you would say to us, come, let's reason together fundamentally let's get to the issue of your sin in it because no one can deny that whatever argument they might want to come with or philosophy you can't argue with our sin we're sinners Lord but thank you that you've presented us with a wonderful saviour in Jesus Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.